Amen, indeed. And all of those songs we sang, and thank you, Paul, uh, perfectly designed for this message, as I invite you to find Genesis chapter 19. We're looking at the very end of this passage, and it's very, very dark. Speaking of which, one week after the sudden and unexpected death of my first wife, I took my family to camp. That was the plan all along for months previous, and uh, so I just felt like that was probably the best place for the kids to get away. Uh, and uh, we had a 14-year-old all the way down to a one-year-old just weaned from his mom the week before. So uh, it was a very, very difficult week, as you can only imagine, and yet I was greatly encouraged by many of the people that were at camp, as were my children. But nobody, nobody encouraged me more than my 14-year-old daughter. We are all staying in the same room, and she heard me weeping in the night. And she wrote me a letter. I still have that letter. And in that letter, she wrote about how broken she was too. And uh, she wrote about how she heard me crying. And she cried for me. And she's, then she turned into a preacher. And she started to preach to me in this letter that God was still on his throne. He knew what he was doing. And we would, we would find darkness. Or I'm sorry, we would find light in our darkness. And I'll never forget, she gave me Psalm 18 and verse 28, which says, the Lord will lighten my lamp. The Lord, my God, will enlighten my darkness. Now, right now, some of you are living in dark times. Some of you are about to live in dark times. You just don't know it yet. For some of you, the circumstances are very difficult. You can, you, there's nothing you can do about them. They're just there. Situations that you can't do anything about, like a child that's astray, a marriage that's just hanging on by a thread. Or maybe it's completely gone. Your, your marriage is gone. You're, not, uh, you're divorced, and there's no hope of this thing being resurrected. Some of you are bereaved. Some of you have health issues that are nagging you. Some of you are just lonely, and that's one of the hardest things because it has such an enduring element to it, your loneliness. And some of you are looking at situations that are so awful, so sinful, so seemingly unredeemable, you can't imagine in your mind's eye, much less your heart, what God must do to turn this thing around. What you need is light in your darkness. And believe it or not, in one of the most awful stories found anywhere in Scripture, we will see light. And you can see it as well. If you're not there already, we're in Genesis chapter 19. It's the last chapter of Lot's life. And the last chapter of his life is worse than any of the previous chapters in his life. He's gone from hanging out 
and hanging on to the coattails of Abram, or Abraham, Abram at that time, and traveling 800 miles from Ur of the Chaldees to the Promised Land. He's been the recipient of the blessings of God's hand upon Abraham. And then when it was to his advantage, he cut and ran and went toward the fertile valley of Sodom where he cozied up next to Sodom, eventually lived in Sodom, and then became a political figure and high esteem within the gates of Sodom. And then, by the sheer mercy of God, as fire and brimstone were readying to come down and turn that place into a rubble, God rescued Lot by his mercy and the prayers of his uncle from Sodom. So when we left off, Lot was finally out of Sodom as its smoking ruins continued to go up into the sky. Lot was out of Sodom, but Sodom was not out of Lot. Just like some of you, you have been rescued from hell, perhaps, but there is still some kind of hell within you. There's still a darkness within you, like with Lot, who I would remind you, the Bible tells us, was a righteous man. So he's out of Sodom. He's headed to Zoar, which is a little city which he negotiated, if you'll recall. And then this, chapter 19 and verse 30, says this. Now, Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters. Now, why would he do that? Why wouldn't he just go back to Abraham? He certainly would have been welcome. Abraham would have embraced his nephew once again. Why wouldn't Lot go back to Abraham? Was it because of embarrassment? Was it because he was too ashamed, too proud to tell Abraham what had resulted in his lifestyle, all that death. I have seen this over the years in many individuals, and some of you, you, you blow it in life, and then you just, instead of acknowledging your sins and opening yourselves up about it, you, you would just rather hide it because you're so ashamed in your pride. Donald Gray Barnhouse said this, when a man is out of the will of God, he is haunted by the bogeys of his own imagination. The rest of verse 30 says this, he was afraid to live in Zoar, so he lived in a cave with his two daughters. Well, how's that for accommodations? He goes, God preserves a little city, the word means small, Zoar, just for Lot's sake, saves the entire city, and Lot, for whatever reason, doesn't stay there. He heads for the hills and to the caves, no less, which, of which there are many in those areas. Caves were places where people buried their dead. If you'll remember later on, those of you who know your Bibles, that's exactly what Abraham does with his wife, Sarah, when she dies. But for Lot, the cave becomes a metaphor for his spiritual life. That's what it becomes. And he has, as R. Kent Hughes 
aptly puts it, spiritually entombed himself, living in a degenerated, death-like existence, sinking even deeper into depression and corruption, unquote. And this is the destiny of all of us who are stuck in this world. You are lovers of this world. The elusive pot of gold, whatever it is, it's always a bag of rocks when you get it. So how did Lot sink into this deeper depression and corruption? Verses 31 and through 33, and the, and the firstborn, that's his daughter, said to her, the younger, our father's old. There's not, not a man on earth to come to us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night. The firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. I made a comment last week that the most bizarre part of this story with Lot is when he's fleeing Sodom before God rains down fire and brimstone and then negotiates instead of to run up in the hills as God directed, he negotiates for the city Zoar. It's so bizarre to me. And I had a lady confront me afterwards. She said, I disagree that the most bizarre thing is what happened with his daughters after that. I stand reproved. <clears throat> there is a hint in verse 32 of the reasoning, not an excuse, but there's a hint as to the reasoning in verse 32 where the daughter says that we may preserve offspring from our father. Do you see that? And that's actually repeated a couple of verses later. Until Christianity pervaded positively its effect upon this world that we now live. Women in particular were the most vulnerable part of every single society. They were virtually dependent upon their husbands. And if not their husbands, then their children, and particularly their sons. If they didn't have any of that, they were utterly destitute and completely dependent upon the scraps that society would throw out at them. And if you're wondering, even hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later, actually almost a couple of thousand years later, you have the Lord Jesus walking into the town of Nain, if you'll remember in, in Luke chapter 7, and he's, he confronts a funeral that's coming out of town. And the funeral is of a widow. That's bad enough, but it's her son. And what kind of son? Her only son. Double destitution. And of course, as only God can do, he brings light to her darkness and resurrects her son. These daughters of Lot, if you think about it, these daughters of Lot had just lost their mother. They had just lost their city. They had just lost their state. And they had just lost their future husbands. Low lives that they were, they still would have provided for them. Now, they just all they've got left is a messed up dad who has led them not to another city, but to the caves. In their minds, we're as good as dead. Not an excuse, just the reality. 
And by the way, by the way, well, I'll get back to this. You dads take special note of Lot and what he did to his daughters to bring them to this kind of circumstances that brought about them taking matters into their own hands. When circumstances are really, really bad in our lives, they're so messed up, they're so deplorable, our circumstances, our natural tendency is to take matters into our own hands. Can I get a witness to that? Yes, that's exactly what some of you are doing right now. That's what you're doing. You're taking matters into your own hands. But to those who love and fear God, if you love and fear God, you put them in his hands, not only where they belong, but where something can actually get done about it. But some of you have taken matters into your own hands and you're paying the consequences for so doing. God wants to bring light to your darkness, but you have to trust him. Back to the text, verse 34. The next day, the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let's make him drink wine tonight also. Then you can go and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. There's that motivation again, which is exactly what she does through verse 35. In case you're wondering, by the way, there are no records in the annals of history, none whatsoever, there are no records in history of anything positive about incest. Not even, not even in the godless, sex-crazed, disease-ridden societies of Lot's day. The Code of Hammurabi, which is, a, which is a find that took place in archaeology that kind of goes back to these cultures, even that speaks against incestuous relationships. Later on, when the law was recorded, Leviticus 20 says you put people to death for such things. So there is virtually, in virtually every culture ever in the history of man, this kind of activity was utterly taboo and completely wrong. Why do I tell you that? Because there was not some, well, everybody else was doing it, kind of an excuse these women could use. It's just sick, it's sordid, and it's evil. And the irony of it all is, is there not irony in that Lot had just previously offered these two girls up to the Sodomites? And now this. Ugh. And while Lot is described as being drunk and out of his gourd, don't think he's off the hook. He is guilty on many counts. And the first of which is by leading his daughters into desperate circumstances and I say this to every one of your dad every one of you dads out here today beware the lot syndrome when you by your lifestyle by your passions by the things you count as most precious by the things your kids can see are your treasure if, if when you do that and they aren't the things of God you're you're just like lot you are lot so don't be looking to say, oh my goodness, never me. Lot led his daughters into desperate circumstances. And then, of course, the drunkenness being out of control, leading to the 
the pregnancies. Oh, yeah, verse 36. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. Name one Moab, father of the Moabites to this day, younger one, Benami, father of the Amorites to this day. Well, what do you know? Their plan worked. Their plan worked. Hear me clearly. When you take matters into your own hands, now listen to this, because this is what some of you are doing. When you take matters into your own hands, you might just get what you're looking for. You might get your own way, but like Adam and Eve before you, the results will not be what you expected and certainly not what you desired. Francis Chan was right in his book, Crazy Love. Our greatest fears should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. And I would add, succeed in life in things that do matter. Aiding and abetting to the downward spiral of godlessness. The names of the children would forever connect Lot's daughters to their father. Moab, from my father. That's what his name means. Benami, son of my paternal kinsman. And these two groups, the Moabites and the Ammonites, would be perpetual enemies of Israel. In fact, Deuteronomy tells us that they couldn't enter into Israel for up to 10 generations. Unless, of course, they became proselytes. But I'm getting ahead of myself. What light, what light could possibly come out of this darkness from this text? This is exactly where some of you are at right now. I don't know what your circumstances are. Be it loneliness, be it marital, be it parental, be it occupational, whatever it is, be it physical. You, you, are, you need companionship, you need help, you're tempted, and some of you are actually taking matters into your own hands. You have to stop right now. Because it would be about 10 generations later, children of Lot's daughters and their children and their children and their children. Some 900 years later, after Abraham, after Moses, after Joshua, would come the days the Bible describes as judges. When every man did that which was right in his own eyes. So they were evil days. They were rebellious days. They were exceedingly dark and dangerous days. There were not many heroes in the land in those days. But there were some. Here is one man. He's wealthy, he's older, he owns property. And every day, in spite of the circumstances I just laid out, he would walk through the rows of the harvest and he would say, the Lord be with you, the Lord be with you to his servants. 
And they, because they had come under the umbrella of his protection, would respond in kind. The Lord be with you. It was a, he was a virtual light in the darkness of the days of Judges. A godly man, but a lonely man. For whatever reason, he wasn't married, be it widowed or having never married. Say, that's, that's fun, cool story, but what's that got to do with Lot, his daughters and the children of an incestuous relationship? It has everything to do with it. It has everything to do with a sovereign God who brings light into our darkness. If we will trust him. And this is what we have to do, church. Trust God. You say, oh, it sounds so elemental, but you're not doing it. Some of you are, and it's evident because you take matters into your own hands. Jesus said in Luke chapter 18, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Have you ever read that? What a question, and what implication. When I return, will I find faith? Will I find people who really, really trust me and not just give lip service to that end? In those days, those days of judges, 10 generations later, there lived another man living in the Holy Land. Times were hard. And for whatever reason, be it a lack of faith or what, he, he left for another land. He, he, he left for a foreign land in order to sort of make his way there. He brought his wife had a couple of sons, and they were going to make it work there, raise up a new generation there. The only problem is he died, and so did his two sons in that foreign land. So now you have a widow and two daughter-in-law widows, three desperate situations. What are they going to do? So the woman, knowing that there's rain back in the promised land, says, I'm going back. She tells her pagan daughter-in-laws, stick around here. This is where you belong, back in your families. One of them says, no. No, I'm going, to, I'm going with you. Your people are going to be my people. Your God's going to be my God. And she hitches her train to the woman, and they go into the promised land to search for the scraps that are just available to them. The mother-in-law sends the foreigner into the whatever field she can find, and she just happens to come upon the field of a near kinsman. And he just happens to notice her. And he supplies her needs, and the rest of it is the most beautiful love story in all of the Bible. Because this, this godly man sees this destitute woman whose husband was connected to his family. He marries her. He jumps through every hoop to marry her and bring light in her darkness. Oh, yeah, by the way, she was from Moab, a Moabitess, a daughter of the daughters of Lot. Her name was Ruth. And they would have a child, and they would name him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. 
So there he is in the very line of Jesus. So don't tell me your circumstances are so bad, so unredeemable that they are behind the mighty or beyond the mighty hand of God to bring light in your darkness. There is never such a circumstance. God glories in these things. He loves to take the destitute and bring light into the darkness no matter what you're going through. If you trust him, if you trust him, if you really trust him, if you're taking matters into your own hands, stop it. You're not trusting Jesus. He doesn't need your help. You don't have a big enough picture of God. You can give lip service to this book, but you don't really believe him. If you don't really trust him to bring light into your darkness. But when you do, when you do trust him, that's when he floods your soul. And I don't know what that means. If it's going to be a flat out answer to your prayer, just some way in which he brings contentment. Because Boaz, who married Ruth, he was, there's nothing in the text that says he was not a content man in spite of the fact that he was a lonely man. The awful story of Lot and his daughters look utterly, it looks utterly unredeemable, but these are the kinds of stories that God loves to redeem. Look, you can't change. You can't change your past. But you can give it to God to redeem it. He's really, really good at it. As some of you, the evidence of your life is that you've never, ever really trusted Jesus. Listen to what Jesus himself said when he said, see to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Have you ever read that? Look at that. What is the light within you? The light within some of you is the knowledge that you have of God, but you've never done anything about it. Oh, you know what it means to be a Christian, but you've never really trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. The light within you is still darkness. Those are, that's, that's to you who are not Christians, but you just give lip service. You're gonna die in your sins. Humble your heart today. Acknowledge Christ and receive him as your Savior. And to the rest of us, I wonder how many of you today would say, I'm tired of taking matters into my own hands. It's never worked. It's not working now. It'll never work later. I give them back to Jesus. Can you do that? That's the best place to put them. And it's in a place where something can be done about them. God is the king of righteousness and the one who brings light to your darkness. Will you pray with me? Our Father, thank you for Jesus Christ who said, I am the light of the world. He who believes in me will not walk in darkness but have the light of life. I pray for those in this room, Lord, whose the light within them is really darkness 
you know who you are. You're not real. Christianity is not real. You have it on your lips. It's in your head, but it's not in your heart. And if your heart has been touched by this today, would you just humble it right now where you sit and say, God, I am a sinner. I am lost. I've been, I'm ashamed. I've been proud. The light in me is darkness, and I want the darkness to become light. Lord Jesus, I receive you now as my Lord and my Savior. Would you just pray that from your heart? Some of you are like Lot. You have trusted in Jesus, but you have long taken matters into your own hands. And you're realizing now they're just too heavy to hold. And nothing's getting done that way anyway. Would you just surrender those to Jesus right now? Place them where they belong, at the feet of Christ casting your care upon him because he cares for you. God, I pray through it all, you will bring light to their darkness. Ask in Jesus' name, amen. A story like Lot and his daughters, Redeemable. We're about ready to begin our Christmas series next week. And when we do, you might remember that in the Genealogy of Jesus Christ, you find the name Ruth. Yeah, God can redeem the worst of circumstances in your life, in my life. And so be encouraged by that. If God has spoken to your heart in some way, please let us know. My wife and I will be down here to pray with any of you who would like to have prayer. Maybe there's some area of surrender that you need to make. As we prayed with some individuals earlier in the first service, we're here for you. God bless you. Nothing going on tonight, uh, so no Sunday nights at Sailorville, so remember that. But we'd love to see you over in the Coffee Cove for refreshment. And so God bless you, and have a great day.